0: Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network.
4: Tribe
0: Tribe Talk is brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. Access the number one care in Ohio anytime, anywhere. By Subway, the official training restaurant of the Cleveland Indians. By KeyBank, the banking home of the Cleveland Indians.
3: Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland where the Indians are in the midst of a new homestand. The White Sox here this weekend and then the Los Angeles Dodgers coming to town next week starting a three-game series Tuesday night. So a lot of good baseball coming up this week here at Progressive Field. As the Tribe tries to get it rolling, they were coming off A 1-4 and road swing that saw them go to Kansas City and Colorado and struggle mightily. But they were off to a good start last night, Friday night, here at Progressive Field. And coming up on this week's show, a variety of guests for you. Brad Grant will join us. He's the Indians director of amateur scouting. And he's in charge of putting together the drafts. Something that has been the lifeblood of this team as they continue to build their talent base a talent base that got them to Game 7 of the World Series a year ago. Also coming up on this week's show, the weekly Farm Report. James Harris will join us. He's the Indians Director of Player Development. We will also hear from Indians reliever Dan Otero, who's having another solid season as a member of the outstanding Indians bullpen. And when we come back, it is a look at the week gone by. Coming up on Tribe Talk right here on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland where the Indians are in the middle of a weekend series with the Chicago White Sox. It began on Friday night. Indians coming away. With a solid victory and taking a look at the week gone by, only two wins to talk about. Sunday in Kansas City, the Indians taking on the Royals, trying to salvage Game 3 of a three-game series. They had dropped the first two and did not look good doing it. And Terry Francona had told Tom Hamilton on Indians' warm-up that he needed the team to, to really start playing a lot better than they had been in many different areas
4: I I have enjoyed this team so much. So I don't want to just go overboard when you get frustrated, but I want to see us fight more because that's one of the qualities like last year that I admired so much. You're not always going to hit, you know, we're not hitting with runners in scoring position. Very few of our guys. I think those things are trends and they trend the other way at some point. But until then, we better fight harder, and we better fight together, or it's going to be hard for us. It's going to be harder than we want it to be. Well,
3: it turned out they played one of their better games on Sunday afternoon in Kansas City, an 8 nothing win over the Royals, and they got it going early. Second inning, Roberto Perez was able to put the Tribe in front.
0: He delivers to the Indians catcher who sends a line drive up the alley in left center. This is trouble. It'll roll and go to the wall, and it'll clear the bases. Encarnacion and Jackson will both score, and a huge two-run double to left center by Roberto Perez. That's the biggest hit of the season for Perez. His second double, and it gives him eight RBIs on the year, and it gives the Indians a 2-0 lead and a much-needed jolt from the bottom of the
3: order. Also in the second inning, the Indians got a contribution from their backup outfielder, Daniel Robertson, who got a start on Sunday and came up big. The next
0: offering to Robertson, a swing and a line drive base hit down the right field line, headed toward the corner. That'll score Perez. Kipnis on his way to third. He's being waved home. On his way to third is Robertson. He's in a rundown. Kipnis scores. Robertson's tagged out near third, but he gets the job done with a two-out, two-run double down the right field line and into that corner.
3: After a Jason Kipnis sacrifice fly in the fourth inning, made it 5 nothing. Robertson struck again. Two down, runners on the corners here in the fourth inning. The pitch to him. Swung on, line drive, center field, base hit, Daniel Robertson. He drives in another run as Zimmer scores from third, and the Indians now lead it 6-0. How about that? A three RBI day for Robertson as he's now two for three. With that RBI single here in the fourth inning, and here comes Ned Yost. That's going to be it for Travis Wood. Then in the eighth inning, it was Jason Kipnis that put the Tribe up 8-0.
0: Kipnis with the ground out, a walk, and then almost hit a grand slam. With the bases loaded in the fourth, he pounded one to deep right, and Jorge Bonifacio made a nice catch right before the wall, and it went for a long sack fly. 3-1 pitch. Swung on, hit high, hit deep to right center field. Bonifacio won't catch this baby. Go on to the fountains, splashing into the water. And the Indians lead it eight to nothing on Jason Kipnis' prodigious home run to right center. Oh, that's one of the longest home runs Kipnis may have ever hit. It's his seventh home run. And did he put a charge into that on a day where right now the flags aren't moving at all? Holy cow, that's a long way out into those fountains in right center field.
3: Meanwhile, the pitching was outstanding, and it had to be mainly out of the bullpen. As Trevor Bauer started, but with a rain delay in the second inning, his day came to an end, so it was truly a bullpen day from that point forward. Andrew Miller was his usual solid self in the eighth inning. His 2-2.
0: Swing and a miss. Miller strikes out the side. He is something else, folks. Indians 8, Royals nothing. Eight innings in the books.
3: And Cody Allen finished up the shutout in the ninth.
0: Cody Allen's ready. Here it comes. And Brandon Moss swings and misses at a curve down and in. Strikes out. Ball game. And the Indians are able to salvage the finale here in Kansas City. A game that saw one hour and fifty minute rain delay, but it didn't slow the Indians down. They route the Royals today by a final score of eight to nothing.
3: So it was Bauer at the start, then Dan Otero, Zach McAllister, Brian Shaw, Miller, and Allen combining on the shutout. On Monday, we had a chance to visit with Dan Otero and talk to him about contributing after a rain delay, especially after a tough day on Saturday. He was one of many Indians pitchers who gave up runs in a 12-5 Royals victory, but he says that's just the nature of working out of the bullpen and being ready from day to day.
5: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you said it. Uh, baseball's a very fluid sport, and uh, each day presents new challenges. So if you let you know, the night before, the game before, kind of linger, it just can snowball into a bad stretch whether it's for the team or for yourself individually and saturday our game there in kansas city was obviously none too pleasant to watch or probably be a, or be a part of and it was nice to be able to come back the next day and uh, our offense put some runs on the board early and uh, we were able to hold them at bay the rest of the game
3: when you look at at a day like that sunday sixteen pitches get you two plus innings and the indians needed that uh, do you kind of shake your head when you look back at that afterward and say, oh, "Man, that was pretty good"?
5: Yeah, 100%. He you was know, one of those things where they're swinging early in the count. That's kind of their MO anyway. And instead of fouling pitches off, they're hitting the ball into the ground. And we're making plays. Uh, the day before, I think I threw 30 pitches and couldn't get out of an inning. You know, so that's how crazy this game is. And you know, each day is different. And uh, you know, whether they swing at every pitch, they could foul off every pitch, and you could still be in the count. Or they could swing at the pitches and put them in play right away. So it's just, you know, you never know what to expect. You just try to keep making pitches, and uh, fortunately I was able to get some innings there, and uh, you know, the rest of our bullpen did a good job.
3: You always have a good perspective on on how this game works and, and results and things like that. Last year, a, a great year for you statistically. This year the, the numbers are a little bit up, but still very valuable in the role that, you, that you're that you in. How do you look at, at, say, a last year and put that behind you and still – feel good about what you're doing this year contributing?
5: Yeah, you try to put last year behind you as much as possible, whether it's the team putting last year behind us or you know me individually putting it behind me. Um, but I can always look back on it and be like, okay, I can do that and I can have success. So if there's ever any doubt that enters my mind, I can always look back, no, I did it for a full season. You know, So that's where it helps. But at the same time, you just have to go out there and control what you can control. You can't control whether a ball put in play is going to be caught or not. And I'm not a big strikeout guy, so I know I'm going to give up my hits, and they're going to lead to some runs. And I'm really happy with the way I'm throwing right now. I feel like I'm throwing the ball well. As a whole, the results, the numbers may be not great, but I still think I'm pitching well, and, you know, it's a long season. So if I can continue to do that maybe at the end of the year, it could be a good another good year.
3: You always rely on the good sink. If it goes away for a day or two, how do you get it back, and, and what do you look for to try and get that thing going again?
5: You hope it doesn't go away. <laughs> or you throw 30 pitches in an inning so you're really tired, and then the next day, no matter what you do, it's going to sink, either by gravity or by tiredness. So, you know, that's the other thing I can do. I had an old coach tell me that. he's like, you need to go run miles get your legs tired. So when you go out there, the ball sinks more. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Uh, no, you just try to, you know, no matter what you do in throwing program or in the bullpen before the game, you have to trust that your stuff's going to be there out in the game. And you don't ever really want to shy away from it. So, you know, if the sink's not there one day, then you just try to keep going until you get it.
3: And Brian Shaw always said very good about maybe taking the ball on days where he feels just okay. And you mentioned being a little sore after Saturday. Uh, but What's the key there to, to being able to do that? And what does that mean to the rest of the team when you can do that?
5: Well, I think it's a mindset relievers have to have. And it was something that I was taught when I first made my debut six years ago with the Giants and the relievers were like, you have to be ready to pitch every day. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, no matter what, you have to be able to pitch every day. That's what is expected of you in the big league bullpen. I was like, all right. So you learn how to manage your throws, whether it's, you know, you're warming up and you get dry hump twice and not put into the game or you warm up twice in the bullpen and then pitch four innings later in the game just throw in, inning you have to be ready the next day so it's something you really have to monitor and our athletic training staff here do, does a tremendous job to make sure anything we need done they will do for us to make sure we're ready to pitch.
3: Well Dan it was uh, good work over the weekend I know a lot of work over the weekend but thanks a lot for coming by I appreciate it.
5: No problem Rosie thank you very much.
3: Well, after the series in Kansas City, it was on to Colorado and Denver to take on the Rockies, and it was a rough two days for the Indians. Tuesday an eleven to three Rockies victory, and then Wednesday an eight to one win for Colorado. And the Indians ended the road trip one and four and had an unhappy manager in Terry Francona, who is not pleased with the effort of his ball club.
4: You know what? It's it's I mean, baseball's baseball and they took it to us twice and we're gonna have to figure out a way to start you know this, this potentially this team is too good. We're not showing it right now. We're gonna one way or another we're gonna but you know we're not putting ourselves in a position where you know some it's like we have to hope some nights we need to go out and play the baseball we know how to play and dictate the pace of the game.
3: After an off-day Thursday, much needed, the Indians were back at it on Friday night, and they came up big over the White Sox with a 7-3 to win. The Tribe got it going early, first inning, thanks to Michael Brantley.
0: Gonzalez is ready. Here it comes. And Brantley... Swings and lines a base hit into left center. Hitting third is Kipnis. He'll come home. Here's Cabrera's throw to the plate. It's over the head of everybody to the backstop. Scoring is Kipnis. In the second is Brantley. Indians with a 1-0 lead.
3: The Sox would take a lead of 2-1 in the third inning, but Bradley Zimmer came up big defensively for the Tribe to keep the White Sox from extending the lead.
0: 1-1 game, 2 on 1-out. He bangs it back up the middle. Base hit center field. Cabrera being waved home. Here comes the throw to the plate by Zimmer on the slide. The tag. Got him at the plate. Bradley Zimmer has gunned down. Milky Cabrera trying to score from second base on the single to center by Abasail Garcia. Bradley Zimmer's throw right on the
3: money. Meanwhile, Corey Kluber was battling through, and he looked especially sharp in the fourth. Kluber's into the wide. Here comes his 1-2 delivery. Fastball, called, strike three. Boy, took it right down the middle, belt high, and Kluber has struck out his seventh. He strikes out the side in the fourth inning. Bottom of the fourth inning, Tribe still trailing. Zimmer came up with the bases loaded and drew a huge walk in a tremendous at-bat. Zimmer waiting on a seventh pitch in this at-bat from Gonzalez. The set and the pitch. Inside ball four. Tie ball game as Encarnacion comes down the line from third, and we are tied at two. What a great at-bat by Bradley Zimmer, a plate appearance that ends in a walk. He fell behind 0-2, worked it to 3-2, fouled off a pitch, and then took an inside pitch for ball four. Well, the White Sox would score again in the top half of the fifth inning. They made it a 3-2 ball game, but in the bottom half of the fifth inning, Edwin Encarnacion did something that the Indians brought him to Cleveland for. That was a huge home run. The 0-1. Swung on, and there's a high fly ball. Dead
0: center. Way back! Home run, Encarnacion.
3: Oh, my, that was through the trees and maybe to Heritage Park. And that's what the Indians are looking for from Encarnacion. He turns this game around. 4-3, Tribe. Number 11 for Encarnacion, and it puts the Indians back in front. So the Tribe was in front 4-3, to and then it was Miller time. Andrew Miller in the 7th and 8th innings.
0: Here is the set and the 2-2 from Andrew Miller. Swing and a weak pop. Shallow right center. Kipnis backpedaling the second baseman. Reaches up, one hands it, and Andrew Miller. He made 30 pitches tonight in two innings. But I think you see the sense of urgency that manager Terry Francona has about this game and getting this homestand started off on the right foot. Corey Kluber goes the first six, Andrew Miller seven and eight. It'll be Cody Allen in the ninth, and the Indians will try to give him a little
3: breathing room. Then in the bottom half of the eighth inning, the Indians opened up the lead as Lonnie Chisenhall continued his fine season. Petritschka checks second the pitch. Swung on, a shot to right, down the line it goes, fair ball into the corner.
0: On his way to second is Chisinal heading home is Robertson, pulling up at third is Ramirez, and there's another big RBI hit from Lonnie Chisinal his second double tonight, and the Indians have a 5-3 to three lead.
3: And Jan Gomes came through with a big base
0: hit. Here's Jan Gomes, infield in. Gomes lines it. Base hit left field. Ramirez scores. Just all-around third. He scores. And Jan Gomes comes through with a two-run single to left. That'll break this baby open. The Indians now lead it 7-3. Four straight hits off Jake Petritschka. And Jan Gomes has 15 RBIs on the year.
3: And in the end, it was Cody Allen to finish things up.
0: Allen looks back. Now fires. A swing a little dribbler to the right of the mound. Allen gloves it. Glove flip to first. Santana kicked the bag for the out. He throws home, but no need to. Ball game.
3: So a positive finish to the ball game heading into the weekend for the Tribe. They won it 7-3 on Friday night against the White Sox with two more games to go against Chicago this weekend. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll hear from Indians Director of Amateur Scouting, Brad Grant. The draft comes your way on Monday. The Indians will try and replenish the farm system and keep that pipeline of talent moving to the major leagues. And it starts with the amateur draft. Brad fills us in after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland where the Indians have an off day Monday for the team. But the other team for the Indians will be extremely busy, and that is uh, the members of the scouting department, the front office, all the way up to Chris Antonetti, the president of baseball operations, and on down. It is the 2017 Amateur Draft and a different draft this year for the Indians. As Brad Grant, the Indians director of amateur scouting, explains, the Indians do not have a first-round pick due to the signing of Edwin Encarnacion this off-season, but he's still excited about what could be on draft day 2017.
1: Yeah, Rosie, it is, it's still a very exciting time for us and, and for our scouts, and the draft's in two weeks, June 12th, so... Uh, We're ramping up right now. All the scouts are coming into Cleveland and and excited to have them in here. Um, This year, our our first pick is into the second round. We picked 64 um, and then 71 and then 102 are our picks this year. Uh, We would have picked 24, but with the signing of Edwin Encarnacion, uh, we lose that 24th pick to the Toronto Blue Jays in compensation for signing him. So when you look at preparing for this year's draft
3: because of where you pick and how different it is from years past, do you approach it differently or do you
1: still stay the same? No, we stay the same. uh, If you look at what our scouts have done, over the course of the past years, uh, we've been able to acquire players all the way through the draft. Um, so it's not just our first-round selections that we concentrate on. Um, we have players like Cody Allen and Sharon Armstrong and uh, Ryan Merritt and all these guys, Roberto Perez, that come later in the draft, too. So we, we approach it the same way. It's a collective process for us. It's try to get the best player for the Cleveland Indians, um, and we feel like we can do that anywhere in the draft. And you mentioned trying to get the best player, and, and
3: probably different from other sports. Does it make any sense in baseball to to draft based on need because of of the amount of time it takes for a player to make it to the major leagues?
1: Yeah, no. If you look at our past drafts, we've taken a bunch of outfielders. We've we've gone sequentially with the best player available every time at that spot. So uh, needs change all the time, and major league needs change all the time. So what we want to do is just acquire the best players and get the most players into our system and and build that up to our system the best we possibly can. Brad Grant
3: joining us, Indians Director of Scouting. Uh, you look at this year's draft, and, and can you characterize it uh, with a top-heavy or, or a lot of good depth, anything like that?
1: Yeah, every time I get that question, I always say, you know, it's, it's top-heavy on high school position players this year, and then we draft four college guys. So <laughs> <laughs> I think for us, it's, it's take the best player, whatever there. There's good players all the way through the draft, whether they're high school p- pitchers, position players, college pitchers, college position players. Um, we're going to take the best player.
3: And and as you go about it, and and your scouts are out there, uh, for fans who don't know, areas of the country that that seem to be exceptionally strong, where do you try and focus sometimes just based on on what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, I spend a lot of my time in California, Texas, and Florida. So uh, those are the the strong beds. They play baseball year-round down there, but at the same time, if you look around, Major League Baseball players come from all around the country. Players come all through the world. So Uh, We do a really good job. Our scouts do a really good job of covering the entire country. We have 25 guys out there. We have 17 area scouts who cover each region, and and we're looking to find talent wherever it is.
3: And can you say whether there's more uh, really good talent in high school or if a lot of it has filtered onto the college level this season?
1: Yeah, it's evenly split. I mean, every year you walk into it, and there's some really good high school players and there's some really good college players. So um, I don't think there's one way or the other it leans this year. So between now and the
3: draft, uh, what's going on here? How many meetings and, and getting the scouts in, things like that?
1: A lot of meetings. Our, our guys have worked really hard, though. For you know, we What we do is we we try to pull our voice, pull our experience, pull our passion out for 362 days, and then go and have the best collective draft that we possibly can. And, and our guys have done an exceptional job of doing that. They've, they started last year on June 13th, and they've worked all the way up through uh, until June 11th, and then we'll hit the ground running on the 12th. And you've been at this a while now. This is several drafts that, that
3: you've been in charge of. Uh, has it changed much during your time at the head of the draft in terms of how you go about it, or do you try and keep it somewhat similar to, to what's been working?
1: Yeah, we, you know, we've had a lot of continuity and consistency in what we've done and uh, who we are. We have a, a lot of guys who've, who've scouted with us for a long, long time. Uh, Scott Barnsby, Scott Meany, John Mirabelli. Bob Mayer, uh, Mike Soper, they've all been with us for a long time, and we've created that continuity and consistency to how we approach it. Um, And then as as we get through it, we make sure that we stay with our process. We try to remove our bias and emotion when we go to make decisions uh, and make the best decision collectively for the Cleveland Indians.
3: I know at one point in time this season, I think there were 11 – of the 25 players on the major league roster, were drafted and developed by the Cleveland Indians. For fans who may not know what that means, that seems like a high number.
1: Uh, from your perspective, is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a tribute to, like I said, to our scouts first and foremost for working that hard and finding those guys and being able to evaluate and identify those guys all the way through the draft. And then it's what we've done on the player development side too. So I think there were 14 players that were drafted and developed Uh, last year who contributed to the American league championship and played in the world series and 22 of the the 25 guys uh, were either acquired through pro scouting, international scouting, amateur scouting, and spent time in our development system. So it's really it's a collective process for all of us. All of us work hand-in-hand in, hand in what we're doing, uh, and it's paying off. All right, Brad. Good luck next couple of weeks. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Rosie. That's Indians
3: Director of Amateur Scouting, Brad Grant. This is his World Series, the draft day for the tribe, as they will bring in 40-some-odd players into the system. And uh, try and get them all signed and in the minor league camps as soon as possible with the short season teams in Mahoning Valley and the Arizona Summer League beginning in the next week or so. So a lot going on Monday here as the draft will be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week. Stay tuned. When we come back, we'll visit with James Harris. He's the Indians' director of player development. The weekly farm report coming your way next on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland this weekend where the Indians are playing the White Sox. And don't forget, the Dodgers come to town next week. A rare appearance in Cleveland for one of baseball's most famous franchises, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they're coming to town, and we don't have confirmation yet, but there is a possibility that the pitching matchup on Wednesday night will feature Cy Young Award winners Corey Kluber for the Indians and the great Clayton Kershaw for the Los Angeles Dodgers. We don't have confirmation yet on Kershaw, but it's lining up that way as a possibility. So we'll see. We'll keep you posted on our game uh, broadcast for sure. Well, each week we hear from James Harris, the Indians Director of Player Development, the weekly Farm Report. And this week, James and his department They've been in meetings with the Indians' amateur scouts in the front office, getting ready for the draft on Monday, and James says, in many ways, the draft is that new introduction to a player that may potentially be entering the system, so a lot of players to look at, and there is involvement from the player development front when talking about selections.
6: In many ways, it's it's a new introduction to players who could potentially be entering the system. Um... It allows me to get an understanding of what their strengths and weaknesses are, what their backgrounds are, what they've been exposed to, and how we can help them develop into major league players
3: once they enter our system. And when you look at specifics, obviously you don't know uh, who the specific players are going to be. How big an inventory of of players are you talking about here over the last couple of days? Hundreds.
6: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, definitely spending all day, every day uh, talking about players one by one. really in-depth. Our scouts do a fantastic job of getting all the information so we can pull it together and make uh, educated decisions on who makes good Cleveland Indians. Uh, not everyone can be a Cleveland Indian. There's certain guys out there, and this allows us to figure out who those guys
3: are. And when when you look at a certain player, say he's uh, tall and slender, and, and obviously you're looking at projecting someone, especially a high school kid who, who may have a lot of growing yet to do, uh, how much input uh, do you have there, especially with, with some of the others in the department who, who work on things like growth and development.
6: Yeah, we, we talk about a few hypotheticals to say if we took a guy like that, how would we help him develop? How long do we think it will, will take? And what types of things will we do to get him there? Um, so it helps in the decision making to say, if I take a player who's underdeveloped physically, do we have the ability to help him reach his potential within the system? And those are a lot of things that, that we get asked and, and we'd
3: like to contribute. And when you look at uh, the draft being next week. Did you have any familiarity with, with any of the players whose names have come up over the, the past year or so that, that scouts might have talked about much sooner than, than just this week?
6: Yeah, I spent some time with about 150 high school players uh, over the course of the year. Um, so I, I had been exposed to them, spent a lot of time in California, which is where I'm from. So I got to see a lot of games out there. And, and, I mean, if you love baseball, you get to see baseball at all levels. So I get to see it from the high school level all the way up to
3: the major league level. And was was fortunate enough to be able to see some high school players. James Harris joining us, uh, talking draft here. It starts uh, Monday night. Uh, The Indians do not have a first round pick, but as we have seen in years past, it's the rounds after that that can really go a long way toward making it a a quality roster at the major league level. Taking a look at uh, some activity in the system, uh, we'll take just a brief look at Lake County this week. And Connor Capel is a name that that we saw during the course of major league spring training. He had an opportunity to come over to major league camp and, and play in some games and it, it sounds like he's really taken a nice step forward at a young age in the Midwest League and what are you seeing there from Connor?
6: Yeah uh, last week he was actually honored by the Midwest League as player of the week. Um, he's a guy who comes up to the plate with a, with a purpose and, and tries to do damage on the ball and he's he's done well on the field also enough to be recognized by the league um, we were really excited about, about what he brought this year. He was a fifth-round pick in 2016, so all all the, the players that you see impacting us don't just come in the first round. They come through all the rounds, and
3: we're excited that he got a chance and an opportunity and made the most of it. And a high school player who's only 20, yet he's in a full-season league already, and, and it's not uncommon, but what are the challenges that a young player like that can face uh, this being just a second year of pro ball? Well, the main challenge is... The day before he was in pro ball, he was living at his parents' house. So being
6: able to come to the Cleveland Indians organization, you basically become a man really quickly because you have to wake up yourself. You have to, um, we, we feed them and we help to to help them develop. But they're, they're in charge of their career and we partner with them to help them get better. Now he's in a full season club in a, in a city that isn't the city that he grew up in. So those outside uh, influences affect what he does on a daily basis and he's come like a professional he says yeah he's only 20 years old but 20 years old for this guy is a, he's a grown man
3: and he comes like a like a pro every day and you mentioned uh, the transition they have to make they're living at home one day and, and then they're playing pro ball the next i know in, in arizona mm-hmm. there's a little more control over things because it's at the spring training complex they get to the midwest league though lake county they're a little more on their own aren't they uh, they are a little bit in arizona in, in arizona a majority of the, Of
6: the games are played within 45 minutes of our complex so those players sleep in their bed every night Um, and we have a manager down there anthony madrano that does a great job of, of being kind of a father figure for those guys preparing them for that full season club so when they get to the full season they know exactly what to expect and how to carry themselves to be professionals so when they get there with our our manager larry day he just takes over from there that's more of a college type atmosphere those guys are somewhere between 20 and 22 years old and uh they're they're getting after it
3: every day trying to get better and a a pitching name that has jumped out Ryder Ryan Uh, what do you have on him as he's developed this season
6: yeah he was actually a position player in college and didn't pitch very much converted over to being a pitcher and um, in his first season of being with a full season club has been selected to the all-star game so we we share in in congratulating him we're really excited about his growth and his development and as he's matured um, he's been honored um, externally um, for the things that he's done, and we're really excited. We, we saw that all along, but now we're, we're glad that people outside the organization are
3: seeing it too. Well, good stuff, James. Always a pleasure, and uh, enjoy the draft. I know it's uh, going to be a, a lot of excitement, new players coming into the system. Thanks for the time today. Thank you very much. Great time of the year. That's James Harris, the Indians Director of Player Development Talking Draft, here on Tribe Talk. And we'll continue with our final segment after this time out on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Don't forget night baseball on Saturday night. Indians and White Sox at 7.15. And Sunday afternoon, a 110 first pitch, the Tribe and the White Sox. And don't forget, on Sunday afternoon, it's a Key Bank Kids Fun Day. Kids 12 and under get the wiffle ball and bat set. Courtesy of Major League Baseball, so that should be a lot of fun. Bring the kids out on Sunday. It's supposed to be great weather as well. Well, we finish up with Indian Spice President Bob DiBiasio. He has another tribe tale here on Tribe Talk.
0: Down ball second.
2: Jerry Brown has it. The
7: short one out. Back
0: to first. Double play. Game is over. It's time for another tribe tale with Indians Vice President Bob DiBiaseo.
7: Joining me now is former Indians outfielder Richie Scheinbloom. And, Richie, it's great to have a chance to catch up with you, sir. And please update our fans on where you're living these days and what
2: you're up to. I'm up to about 235. <laughs> and I live in uh, Palm Harbor, Florida, which is in the Tampa Bay area. Right. And I found that the weather there is a little better for my joints that have pretty much passed away on me.
7: <laughs> Let's talk a little baseball. You signed with the Cleveland Indians in
2: 1964. Uh, reflect on your early days of your career. Well, when I signed out of, after I graduated college, and I was sent to Burlington in a, a Carolina League, and I hit a 309. And actually, the next year, I got sent down from B ball to C ball <laughs> for, <hitting 309. laughs> for hitting 309. But uh, in 65, I was protected. And uh, Cleveland had me up with the big team for 30 days in the beginning, 30 at the end. I had one at bat. Bertie told me I was uh, too young to play in the big leagues. And the one thing I really remember Dave Morehouse, Moorhead, threw a no hitter against us in Boston. I'm the only one that didn't play in, on either team. <laughs> <laughs>
7: you were admittedly were known in your career as a slow starter. And I remember as a kid uh, a headline in the Plain Dealer atop one of Rush Schneider's batting around columns where it said Shine Bloom, O for April and the O was spelled O H.
2: Is my memory correct? Were you really a slow starter? Uh, that season, I started 0 for 35, uh, which is still a major league record. And uh, it followed me winning the Triple Crown in spring training. And as it turns out, I had the lowest batting average in the history of the Cleveland scoreboard when I got my first hit. So that had to be, I'm not a good
7: mathematician, but something like 0 4 or something, something like that.
2: <laughs> oh. And what happened was uh, we opened up in Detroit, and I was hitting third, Tony Horton hitting fourth. Right. And we faced Denny McLean right after he won 31 games. games. I'd never faced him before. And I watched him warm up. He was throwing nothing. So I came out to play. It couldn't have been more than six degrees out. He threw me a mediocre fastball. I went to swing, and it was by me in a second. It just exploded. That was 0 for 4, but he didn't strike me out. Second night, Mickey Lowlich I'd never faced. faced. (laughs) 17 different speeds on a slider, another 0 for 4. And then I forget who the third one was. And then Alvin traded for Hawk Harrelson. And then I just started pinch-hitting once a week. And uh, someone recently figured out that they deducted all of my April statistics. And for the other seven years, well, for the eight years in baseball, my career average was 311 or 309. Well, Sherry, I
7: also read a a crazy story about you and uh, the cycle and normally the cycle is when a hitter gets a single, double, triple, and home run
2: all in the same game, but your cycle was a little bit different. It was called the reverse cycle. As far as I know, I'm the only one that's ever done it. I don't know if it was my first or second time up. I grounded out to first, so I was thrown out at first. My second time up, I hit a line drive over first, around the first, slid in the second, they threw me out. So I was out at second. second. <laughs> then I hit a double, tried to make it a triple, thrown out at Third. third. <laughs> And I will never forget, I hit a ball in the gap somewhere, I'm rounding second, I round third, and my legs just, just died out. Me. So I got thrown out at home. I got thrown out. <laughs> at, at, every at, at every base. <laughs> That's a remarkable and achievement. During that same spring training, we were playing the Giants. Ed Runge was the umpire. Juan Marichal was pitching, and they pointed me to first base. And Ed Runge pointed me. Nobody knew what was happening. They were trying to change baseball rules. They pointed me to first base. And then they said, "What a ridiculous Let's rule!" that. <laughs> but I'm the first and only one ever pointed to first base during a major league game, spring training, or, or trying
7: to, to see if we just don't throw the four intentional pitches and speed up the game. And they, they did just it with you
2: for me to do, do it. it. <laughs> That's
7: remarkable, uh, Richie. It's been wonderful catching up with you, sir, and. On behalf of Cleveland Indians fans everywhere, we wish you and yours the very, very best.
2: Thank you so much. I can't tell you how excited I am to see all my old friends here. And we find out that you don't just become a teammate, you become family. Beautiful. Richie Shine Bloom,
7: our latest tribe tale.
2: This is Who's got the
3: That'll do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will join you next weekend from Minneapolis. The Indians will take on the Twins. How about that? That's a key series now. Who would have thought that in the offseason, that a series in June between the Indians and the Twins would be a battle for the top spot in the American League Central Division, but it very well could be by the time we reach next weekend. And the Indians, again, will be on the road in Minneapolis. That's where Tribe Talk will air from. So until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians radio network.